You are listening to A Modern Nonprofit Podcast, a podcast for leaders of today's nonprofits. We focus on the most pressing issues in a modern nonprofit, from grant writing and fundraising to back office administration like accounting. If you are looking for tips and hacks to make your nonprofit more modern and intentional, you've come to the right place. I'm your host, Tasha Anderson. I've worked with hundreds of nonprofits over many years in different capacities, first as an auditor, then a CFO of a nonprofit, and now I'm a CPA that owns the Charity CFO, an accounting firm working exclusively with nonprofit organizations. I'm passionate about trying to make the work of nonprofits even easier through the most modern practices I've learned from some of our most successful clients. Keep listening. Hey friends, welcome back. I'm excited to talk today about something that I've been asked a lot about um, over the 17 plus years that I've been working with the nonprofit space. And oftentimes I get asked to come in and have conversations with board members or um, leaders of nonprofit organizations or just to speak to groups as a whole about the differences between for-profit and nonprofit. And I, and I think I'm in a really interesting spot for Number one, I've served as an auditor for nonprofits, a CFO of a nonprofit, and now we work with close to 200 nonprofits um, every single month at the charity CFO. And I've seen so many different misconceptions about what a nonprofit is, how it's different from a for-profit business. Um, And I also say that from my own personal experience, because I work exclusively with nonprofit organizations, yet I actually run a for-profit profit business. So most of my career has been working around the nonprofit space and figuring out how do we stay out of trouble? How do we (laughs) do things the right way and follow the best standards? And then when I opened up my own for-profit business about seven years ago, I started realizing the differences between for-profit and nonprofit in a very personal way. So I thought I would go ahead and shoot out uh, this conversation about the top five biggest myths when it comes to um, the differences between nonprofit and for-profit. So uh, some of these are probably going to be of no surprise to you, and some of these I think definitely fall into the gray area, which is exactly why I wanted to have this conversation. So myth number one is that nonprofit accounting is completely different than for-profit accounting. Um, there's this this idea, uh, and that's a myth. And the fact is that substantially most of it is the same. Most of it is the same. I know because I do my own accounting for my business and I do accounting for nonprofits. Yes, there are some key differences, um, but most of it's the same, right? And I think that this myth is difficult for many people to understand um, because substantially most of it is the same. So understanding what are the similarities and then understanding the key differences, right? So those key differences really fall into two different categories, tracking of revenue, tracking of revenue, the nonprofit world does it much differently and ownership and how we categorize ownership, right? So let's go back to revenue. So in the for-profit world, most for-profit businesses, especially small businesses, it would be a similar size to many of you listening um, out there in the nonprofit world, let's say less than 10 million. These are considered small businesses in the grand scheme of things. And on the for-profit side, most of these small businesses are going to be functioning in a cash basis, which means they don't record revenue until it's deposited in their bank account. And they don't record expenses until it leaves their bank account, right? In, out, very simple. Right. Well, the nonprofit world, even if we're considered small, less than 10 million, most of us are going to be subject to an audit. Uh, Most of our funders want to see us operate in an accrual 
basis accounting, uh, which means we have to record things when they um, are earned or when they're promised to us. So I'm talking about those pledges. Um, I'm talking about those grants receivable or those multi-year gifts, maybe a capital campaign or something like that. That all has to be recorded, even though we haven't actually received the money, right? Uh, so that's one difference um, on the revenue side is the timing, um, not just for the accounting rules for specific to nonprofits, something like a pledge um, or a gift, right? Uh, For-profit businesses don't typically get people that want to gift them money. They have to sell something, right? The nonprofit world does. And then there's also the fact that not only are you a nonprofit and you have to record pledges based on when they are pledged to you, not received, but when they are promised to you, um, that's the difference with the for-profit world. And you also have to operate on an accrual basis, typically, not always. It, de it depends on if you get audited or if your funders require that. But most nonprofits, once they reach you know, over a million dollars, they start to convert from cash basis to accrual basis. So revenue is the biggest thing. So tracking the revenue, not just how you record it and when you record it, but tracking the revenue, right? In the for-profit world, if I have 200 clients and they all pay me a retainer, I don't have to keep track of how I spent you know, this client's retainer versus that client's retainer, or maybe uh, how I spent money for our monthly accounting services versus how I spent money on um, revenue that we generated from filing tax returns or something like this. No one cares, right? No one has to keep track of it in that way. As you all know, in the, for in the nonprofit world, we do have to keep track of certain dollars, especially if they are restricted, right? That does not exist in the nonprofit world. So we have to kind of create these little funds and be accountable for how we spend the money. So that's different in the timing of when we record the gifts um, or the or, or the revenue, I should say, not even just gifts. Um, the timing and when we have to record revenue, most for-profit businesses, small businesses, if you were to compare a similar size, um, are going to record it when the um, cash is received. Nonprofits can't really get away with that, um, especially if they're audited. That's going to come up under audit. Now, I will say most for-profit businesses, once they reach to a certain size, if they get audited, they have to switch to a similar model than the nonprofit. They have to start recording things when they're earned, not necessarily when they're received. Um, and certainly very large corporations uh, typically do their accounting on a, an accrual basis. Why is this the difference for the for-profit versus nonprofit in this smaller space? Frankly, a lot of it is the IRS assesses taxes based on a cash basis for small businesses, right? So I don't pay taxes unless I collect revenue. So because for-profit businesses are trying to understand their tax liability at the end of the year, they do their accounting on a cash basis because that's basically what the IRS looks at um, for small businesses. That's really the fundamental difference in why they do that. There is a method to that. Okay, so that's revenue. I don't want to get too much into the weeds. Nobody likes listening to all this accounting jargon anyway. The next big difference is, is ownership, right? In the for-profit world, there is a clear ownership. Every business has to have an ownership structure, whether it's one person, multiple people, um, stock, maybe it's many, many people, right? In the nonprofit world, there is no ownership. And we'll talk a little bit about that later. But really what it's called in the for-profit world, it's equity, retained earnings, something like this. In the nonprofit world, it's called net assets. Right. And these net assets are kept track of, OK, what is all of the surpluses or the profits that have accumulated? That's what equity is or net assets and accumulation of any excess surpluses or deficits. You know, it's it's the summation. It's the total of that over time since inception. So add the surplus or deficit for year one, year two, year three, et cetera, et cetera, all the way into the current day. And it tells you overall since inception, have you been operating a deficit? because that number will be negative, 
or a surplus, that number will be a positive. The nonprofit world is a little more complicated as they like to narrow that down to, are any of those surpluses that are left over, let's assume surpluses, think positive today, are there any strings attached to that? These are the restrictions. So when you have net assets with restrictions, right? For example, say over time you had a capital campaign and you have $50,000 left that you need to spend. That should show up in your net assets that yes, we have a $200,000 net assets, but 50,000 of that is earmarked towards capital campaign. In the for-profit world, they don't have that. Whatever you collect, whatever you earn, the business owner can do whatever they want with it for the most part, assuming you haven't taken on loans or something like this. And you're, <laughs> you know, I'm talking earned revenue. I'm not talking about borrowing money from the bank. Um, they might have some issues with what you do with that money. But for all intents and purposes, earned money in the for-profit world can do whatever they want. Uh, nonprofit world, they not only can't do whatever they want, they have to track it and they have to report on it. So all of these things show up in the financial reports. Um, and that's the biggest difference. I mean, really, I like to say 80, 90% of it is the same. There are just a few key differences and it's going to show up in revenue and it's going to show up in the equity primarily. Um, another myth, myth number two, nonprofits cannot make a profit. Uh, this is maybe a little controversial, but um, as a CPA that's been working with nonprofits for a long time, I say nonprofits can, not only can, they should be making a profit. Um, maybe we don't like to use that word profit, but the reality is we have to have more money coming in than what we spend. And if we spend every dollar that ever comes in, how are we going to be in a place to reinvest back into our organization? How are we ever going to grow our infrastructure? How are we going to expand our programs? So there is an element that I recommend every business owner, and I follow this advice myself, that I need to continue to bring in more money than what I make, not just so that I can live some crazy lavish lifestyle and go jet setting around the world or anything like that. It's so that I can continue to build reserves or I can continue to build a buffer or rainy day fund um, within my business. So for a couple reasons, I mean, risk you know, management, uh, what happens if something significant happened um, in our life and we needed a little savings fund. Um, but then also, I think for me, having that buffer is a self-investment funding opportunity, right? Whenever I come across opportunities where this makes big, this makes complete sense for us to make this investment, whether it's in a person or a software or new, whatever it is, training, um, do I have a little bit of extra money laying around that I can jump on those opportunities when that time comes? And so many nonprofit or frankly businesses, nonprofit or for-profit, it really doesn't matter. Most businesses operate with such a slim margin on um, cash reserves, or profit that they don't have that ability to reinvest in themselves, right? And you certainly as a nonprofit, you already know that a lot of funders are gonna have a hard time investing in certain things, specifically administration, infrastructure, fundraising opportunities, uh, maybe program expansion that's not evidence-based or some other you know, wish list item that's gonna be a hard sell to a funder. How can you as an organization um, develop kind of a reinvestment fund of yourself, right? An operating reserve, uh, but maybe a portion of that is earmarked towards um, self-investment. So you can never get there unless you have surpluses or profits. So nonprofit status, uh, nonprofit is a tax status. It's purely uh, an exemption from paying state and federal income taxes. It is not a business model. A business model 
a successful business model requires always bringing in more cash um, than what you are spending on any given day, regardless of whatever your tax status is. Now, certainly, I don't want to discount the fact that people will argue um, that there is a difference between having surpluses and just outright hoarding the money, okay? Uh, I can see where some people would have an issue if a nonprofit is hoarding funds and they don't have a strategy or they don't have a plan or an intention for how to use those resources in, in a smart way um, and how to continue serving their community. So if you are one of those that are hoarding money, uh, consider having that conversation with your board, um, your finance committee, talk more about what is the long-term strategy of this and do we want to start crafting some conversation around um, how we want to invest in ourselves or at least uh, the narrative for what we're going to tell donors when we um, do get asked, you know, why are you sitting on all this money and you're asking me for funds? That conversation I've had multiple times on behalf of our clients um, and it's much easier when you have uh, some sort of framework for which you can share with those donors. It makes it a lot easier. So like I said, nonprofits, can and they should make profit um, and plan for that in your budget. Um, so many times I see nonprofits have a zero-based budget, especially if you're in growth mode um, or you've historically had deficits, uh, plan for a profit. You have to plan for a profit. Okay. So myth number three, nonprofit accounting, which is generally accepted accounting principles written by FASB and other accounting gods that might be, and the IRS rules are the same. That's a myth. The fact is they are different. And this became clear to me, I remember sitting in a funder meeting many years ago and somebody raised their hand in the funder as a presentation, like, you know, this is what you need to do for the application and submit this and submit that. And, and um, they were going through and say, you know, submit your budget information. And somebody raised their hand, should we use the numbers on our audit or should we use the numbers on our tax return? That made it, that was a complete reasonable question for me as an accountant, because I, I knew the differences between the two. And there was a lot of snickering and people I heard saying, oh, hopefully they match or what's going on? Why wouldn't they match? You know, and it became clear to me that I don't think people realize that there actually are differences. Um, the fact is GAAP, generally accepted accounting principles, that is what shows up in your audit. That's the accrual basis accounting. There's special rules and we'll go into a little bit more detail. And the IRS are similar in most areas, many areas, but they have a few key differences. So keep, if any of these relate to you, um, know this. The biggest difference is accounting for in-kind services. The IRS, let me take a step back. The IRS really, again, pays attention to, are you receiving things of tangible monetary value? Okay, they really focus on that. Um, if something isn't convertible to cash, the IRS is a little more dismissive of it. Um, that's Tasha's opinion. There's probably some legal asterisk I need to put somewhere, but anyway. So the IRS excludes from their reporting, the 990, in-kind services. Notice I did not mention in-kind goods because the thought is they have a tangible worth if you sold them or if you gave them away. In-kind rent, um, in their mind, that also is something that you could, uh, a for-profit uh, business that might own um, uh, office space could, could convert to cash, right? So in-kind services are excluded. Um, unrealized gains or losses in the investments. Again, this is money just sitting in an account. It's going up, it's going down, but nobody's cashing in on that. So the IRS kind of dismisses that. The IRS, depending on the form, um, once 
some detail, but not as much detail as generally accepted accounting principles on your functional expenses. Okay, your functional expenses on the 990EZ, they don't break it down in as much detail as say the full 990. And the audit has very specific requirements for requiring the functional expenses. This is a breakdown of your expenses by GNA, fundraising, and um, program expenses. And then last, special events, right? So the IRS wants to see your special events broken out a certain way uh, and your audit might uh, represent it a different way. So the bottom line is your revenue, total revenue could look different on your audit versus your um, versus your um, 990, specifically related to your especially your unrealized gains or losses or in-kind services if, if either one of those are substantial for you. And if you have endowments, those could be pretty substantial, right? And it could show up differently in your presentation of expenses um, and other sorts of differences. And usually all of those differences are summarized in your 990. So if you are looking for those differences, there is a summary of that in your 990 what those key differences are. So that's a myth that your IRS and your, your, your tax return and your audit are gonna match. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. Um, myth number four, nonprofits never pay taxes. That is simply not true. Um, nonprofits do pay taxes and are required to pay taxes. Number one, they pay, obviously, payroll taxes. They pay um, feds, maybe local state taxes for payroll. They also remit taxes on sales tax. So we are seeing more and more clients that sell goods, right? We have a couple, for example, a couple animal shelters. They do veterinary services. They might sell animal products, food, um, supplies, and things like that, uh, that that are going to generate um, sales tax. We also have a publishing company that sells um, published work, right? Books and journals and things like that. They generate um, sales tax and they have to report those sales tax and, and remit those sales tax. And then they also have unrelated business income. So we have some clients that have really weird investments um, in other business entities or other things that aren't really in line with their mission that they have identified and the IRS has agreed is considered unrelated business income. So just know that just because you're a nonprofit, you're not exempt from all taxes. And you should definitely chat with your CPA to see what taxes should you be collecting um, on behalf of the business and then remitting to the state or local authorities um, and what taxes or tax filings should you be provi providing to either the IRS, state, or local authorities. So don't um, assume that just because you're a nonprofit, you don't pay any taxes. Okay. The last, which is a big sticking point for me, is myth number five, a nonprofit has an owner. This is Tasha's peeve, and maybe we're getting a little technical here, but it really kind of grinds me when I hear people say, oh, I own a nonprofit or so-and-so owns nonprofit. No one owns a nonprofit. No one does, right? Ownership is a compromise. You give up the rights of ownership as a compromise, right? When you trade tax exemption at the state and the federal level, you surrender your right to ownership. You don't own the business. So please don't reference yourself as an owner um, if you are a founder because you're simply not an owner. Um, and that can be really dangerous and open you up to some personal liabilities, right? So the IRS and the states have basically said, look, we're not going to charge you taxes. And you're not going to have equity. The public is going to own this entity. And to make sure that the public's best interests are laid out, you must have a board of directors. You must have bylaws. You must have oversight and governance. And you as the founder must report to this board. 
And exchange for not paying taxes uh, at a state or federal level will also let you reinvest what you would have paid in taxes into your business model to continue serving the community. If you ever left the organization, you do not get to take the organization with you. The ownership stays with the board of directors. Therefore, the board could theoretically fire you as a founder um, and replace you with someone else, right? And I think this is really important for people thinking about starting nonprofits um, or those that are currently operating a nonprofit, that they're a founder. Maybe they didn't completely realize this um, because on one hand, yes, you're not an owner, but, but an owner or a founder rather, see, I'm doing it. A founder has personal liability, as does all board members, frankly, but they have personal liability for that nonprofit. Not always, but a lot of times. And some of these common instances where a founder or even executive director, you don't even have to be a founder, might have personal liability to this nonprofit. Um, and you could be held accountable and responsible for any debts or, or um, other liabilities that the nonprofit uh, incurs really is centered around um, a few common issues. Number one, you've created a, I see this all the time, personal guarantees for loans taken out on behalf of the nonprofit. I'm talking credit cards, I'm talking lines of credit, I'm talking mortgages. I've seen so many founders take out personal guarantees to fund their nonprofits. So even after the organization has moved on from the founder, or if the organization starts struggling financially, the founder could be personally liable, or again, it could be an executive director, it could be a board member. I've seen this um, with other people beyond just founders. Uh, they could still be personally on the hook if they sign those documents. So be very careful if you're signing anything that extends credit or debt to the organization um, that that you know, um, whichever role you're in, that you're, you're signing a personal guarantee. So that leaves you on the hook personally. Then there's other IRS and Department of Labor compliance violations. If you fail to properly govern and manage the nonprofit, you could be held responsible for um, the debt that could go after you personally if they deem that you made a conscious decision to not follow their policies or remit money owed to them, um, but you decided to pay yourself, for example, uh, and you didn't pay the IRS, they could have a problem with that and they can come after you personally. Um, so keep that in mind. And then last, and I see this a lot with small nonprofits, um, especially with founders, commingling business and personal funds. Again, this is not your personal bank account. This isn't even your business. I I'm sorry to be the one to have to say it in such a frank way, but it's not even your business and you can't commingle funds. Um, and I see this, I've seen this many times over the years where founders of nonprofits will put money into the business, you know, say to cover expenses, rent, whatever. And rather than just taking that money back out and paying themselves back, they'll swipe the debit card for the business for their personal expenses. And that's how they repay it. Keep it really clean. Do yourself a favor. Don't get in trouble with the IRS or the states with this. Um, if you do make a loan to the nonprofit, make sure that you are paying yourself back in a very clean way. Write a check to the nonprofit, maybe sign some sort of um, loan agreement with a nonprofit, especially if it's a sizable amount. Pay yourself back in one full swing as a check. Don't use the debit card or any other sort of funding for um, to, to pay you back um, transaction by transaction using personal funds. So be really careful with that. Um, I know it's been a long conversation, but these are the top five biggest myths that I um, 
that I have conversations about all the time as it relates to nonprofits. I hope you all found this useful. Until next time, see you later. Thank you for listening to a modern nonprofit podcast powered by the Charity CFO. If your nonprofit is needing help with accounting or bookkeeping, head on over to thecharitycfo.com to find information on the work we are doing with other nonprofits. If you found this information helpful, please give us a five-star rating on your podcast streaming platform so other nonprofit leaders can find us. We appreciate your support and we'll see you on the next episode.